Hey, good morning, everybody. Well, you came out on such a beautiful day, low humidity, beautiful sunshine. I'm really proud of you. You made it here today. So we're all going to go outside and have fun now. In a few minutes. Just give me a few minutes, okay? Let's open our Bibles, John chapter 7. John chapter 7. Been kind of looking at things a little bit differently in chapter 7 uh, rather than strict uh, marching through. We're looking at every verse, but we're kind of like breaking it up into subjects. I don't know if you noticed that. Last week, we looked at uh, this idea that the, the temple guards said that, you know, no one ever spoke the way this man does. There's something about the way Jesus spoke, something about him himself. And that's, I mean, to us, that's like so obvious. But, but you know, they're there. If you can picture, picture it, they're there. They're, they're listening to this guy, and they were sent to arrest him. But something about it, they just could not, they couldn't arrest him. He spoke, uh, we saw the scriptures, he spoke with authority. He spoke with grace. So that's a kind of an interesting combination too. He had authority, but he also had grace. But more than that, I think it, it comes out when you look at the context and look at the things that that they were seeing and the things that were said was that he was, he was not just a man. There was no man who ever spoke the way this man did and does because there was no other man like this man. He was more than just a man. That's, that's the, the, the theme we see throughout the Gospel of John over and over and over again. He was from heaven. He was from all eternity. He was co-equal with God the Father. We've already talked about the the Trinity here, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So today, we're going to look at a little different uh, subject in, these, in this chapter. Uh, let's jump down to chap, uh, verse 40, John chapter 7, verse 40. On hearing his words, some of the people said, surely this man is the prophet. And others said, he is the Christ. And still others asked, how can the Christ come from Galilee? Does not the scripture say that the Christ will come from David's family and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? We talked about that. But verse 43, thus, the people were what? Divided. Because of what? Because of Jesus. They were divided because of of Jesus. Now, verse 40 starts off by saying, on hearing his words, and he had given an invitation in the previous verses, which we're going to look at next week, actually, where he says, you know, all you are thirsty. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And so, but he's giving an invitation, come to me if you're thirsty. And so we see all these different kinds of reactions, different kinds of responses People responding, but, but, but what it says there in verse 43 is that they were divided. They were divided because of Jesus. That's an important thing to take note. And, and I think uh, 
I, I want to think globally, but I also, we need to think in terms of our country too. Because of Jesus, they were divided. Now, I, I have this idea, uh, you know, of the great divide, right? Does anybody know where the great divide is? Did anybody know what it is? We got Jesus is a great divide too. That's what I'm going to talk about. But, but the great divide, when you hear this, what does it bring to mind? Dividing the continent, right. It, it, I, I've got a couple of pictures for you here, Matt. That red line is the great divide. And that's, it's, it's all the way through, uh, you know, Alaska, all the way down through Mexico, and then it continues, actually, all the way down to the tip of South America. This rift or this divide that, that is there. It's, some people call it the, the continental divide. Now, it's interesting, you, you hear that term, the great divide, and different people think of different things, but the most common meaning is the continental divide. And I don't know about you, but when I looked at that, that is huge. I mean, that, it's massive. And, and you know, when you look at a, pe- a picture like this, too, and you go like, Wow. There, there's something about that. Now, the continental divide, at least in the U.S., there are other divides in different areas, and there are lesser ones, even in the U.S., but the continental divide, it, it kind of divides the watershed or the waters that flow in two different directions, right? One goes where? West to the Pacific Ocean. Yay, Pacific Ocean. Sorry. I'm still a San Diego boy at heart. I had my San Diego shirt on earlier, but now I'm from Rhode Island. I just want you to know that. And, and, and Joe, you know, Big Joe told me that I, after 20 years, he said I could officially be a Rhode Islander. See how I said that? Anyway, so you've got this continental divide and the waters that go to the Pacific Ocean and then the waters that go, that drain into the Atlantic Ocean. It's easier to see here in the, in the, in the North America, you know, but the, the waters that go to the right on the map anyways, they also include the Gulf of Mexico and the Caribbean Sea. But this thing, when you, when you look at it and study it and you see this is like deep, it's not, you know, it, it, it's radical, this divide that takes place. Now, when you, if you did a search, and I did a search for the Great Divide and, and see what comes up, it's not just this that comes up. It, so many different things come up. That, you know, plays, there's plays that, that have that name. There's, there is uh, movies that have that name. Anybody seen a movie called The Great Divide? How about a band? There's a band called The Great Divide. Anybody heard of them? I guess they're not too popular. <laughs> There are songs, there are books. I mean, this is a, a, a big thought in people's minds. If you look at it, they're just listen. Willie Nelson did a song called The Great Divide. You've heard of him, right? Yep. Hello? <laughs> just seeing. I never heard the song before. I actually listened to it a little bit. I never heard it before. But, but this concept, you know, it, it strikes people. There's this great divide. There's like things that can divide people. We know it too often in, in all kinds of arenas, even here in our country, things that divide us. This word divided uh, literally means, the, the Greek word, 
and, and I'm not a Greek scholar, but the Greek word is schism, right? You know that word because we use it in English. But that, that's the literal word that's used there in verse 43. A schism, there's a, a rent, there's a tear, there's a, a division, there's a gap, there's a split. And we see that in those verses there. Some of them, they thought that he was just a man. How can this happen? He's just a man. He's, he's from, from Nazareth. Others thought he was a prophet. Some thought and believed that he was the Christ. And because of their different views of, of who uh, he talked about being and who said he was, and also because of the things he did, there was this division with the people. Why? Because of Jesus. They were divided because of Jesus. I want you to think about that for a second. Warren Wearsby said, though, about what was going on then, that he said this, if they'd only honestly examined the evidence, they would have discovered that he was the Christ, the Son of God. But they refused to face the facts honestly, but passed judgment based on their prejudices and their superficial examination of the facts. So if they had only looked deeply into it, they would have found, yes, he is the Christ. These Jewish leaders that were persecuting him and, and others that were, you know, they, superficially, and they were looking at it as, nah, that, that can't happen. He's from Nazareth. Well, they didn't even check that out good enough to find out that he wasn't born in Nazareth. He was born where? In Bethlehem, we all know. We know that. How come they didn't know that? They didn't bother to take the time to check it out. And, and we, we've seen so many times, and we've looked at the evidence that demands a verdict that for those that would uh, honestly examine the evidence, they would see that, yes, indeed, Jesus is more than just a man. So they were divided because of Jesus. John Corson said, don't be surprised, don't be shocked when you sense divisions due to your stand as a believer in Jesus Christ. Don't be shocked if it separates he talked about family. He talked about at our job. He talked about at our schools. When there's this division between us and others because simply of our relationship or our stand or our faith in Jesus Christ. Don't be shocked by that. It's not, it's not anything to be surprised about. It happened then when he was standing there, when he was speaking in front of them. It happened today. Let's turn back to, to verse 30. Look at some of the reactions. Look at some of the things and, and the different uh, sides that were taken. Verse 30, at this they tried to seize him. At what? He talked about being from the Father. But no one laid a hand on him because his time had not yet come. Still, verse 31, many in the crowd put their faith in him. And they said... When the Christ comes, will he do more miraculous signs than this man? The Pharisees, they heard the crowd whispering such uh, things about him. And then the chief priests and the Pharisees sent temple guards to arrest him. So we see the two, the contrast there. The Pharisees, they, they wanted to seize him. These Jewish leaders, the, the chief priests and the others, they wanted to seize him. They wanted to arrest him. They sent these guards We've already looked at that to arrest him. But what did the other side do? 
There's a big difference between those who want to arrest him, stop him, seize him, and verse 31, those who put their faith in him. Those who trust him. Now that's not just a simple word, well, I'm going to put my faith in Jesus. It it means to literally put, put your whole heart upon him. Put your whole life upon him. I put my faith in Jesus Christ to save me, to lead me, to be my Savior, to be my shepherd. Look at verse 44. Again, it says, Some wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. They tried. They wanted to. They wanted. They sent people to do that. Look at verse 47. The Pharisees said, after the guard said, no one ever spoke the way this man does, you mean that he has deceived you also? So we have the temple guards there saying, you know, wow, I can't, this guy, no one ever spoke like this man. No man ever spoke thus, literally. But these Pharisees said he's a deceiver. He's deceived you, and, and, and you're, you're just deceived. I wonder if any of you have you know, heard that from somebody. When you've told them you know, that you're a believer in Jesus Christ, they say, well, you're, you know, you're, you're not only nuts, you're deceived. You're, you've been lied to. There are people lying to you, and you've bought it in. Verse 48 The Pharisees speaking again, it says this. Has any of the rulers or of the Pharisees believed in him? Have any of these top guys believed in him? Well, you know, it's hard not to see the arrogance there, right? The pride there. Like, you know, none of us have believed him. You know, look, you know, look at us. We're, you know, we're the leaders. We're the guys in charge. None of us have done that. And, and I, I, I can hear that today, too. I can hear it. I can, I can sense it. Have any of the important people in our society believed? Those who know, those who are educated, those who have the, the major degrees from the major schools? Have any of them? Now, of course, the answer, they say the answer is what? Verse 49. They say no, but is that even true? No, the, who, who's deceived here? Who's the one that, you know, doesn't really know the truth? Because the truth is that some, even of their own group, had believed, right? Right. Again, Warren Wiersbe said, we should not be surprised when the intelligentsia, quote, unquote, refuses to trust Jesus Christ. Just because the people who are so very, very smart... And you see some of these guys, you know, they're, they're, they're just brilliant. And they, so because they will not trust in Jesus Christ, that means it's not true? Interesting, isn't it? Jesus said these words in Matthew 11. He said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned And revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. He he wanted to, to do that. 
But some did. Some did believe in that group. Let me read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, continuing this thought. Paul the Apostle says, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. Notice he says, not any. Or it's, not that any it's not that none of you. So there were some, and there were some in the days when Jesus was on the earth as well, some. So, so just this kind of thing, you know. But, but Paul the Apostle, when you look at his upbringing, when you look at who he was, that guy was, that way, talk about being intelligent. Talk about being trained, having the degrees and whatever. He had them all. He had them all. But in Philippians, it, it says, you know, he counted that all like refuse, like dung, compared to the excellency of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I, he had all the knowledge, but, but, but he didn't have the faith. He didn't have the trust until he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, and his life was turned around and changed. He said, you know what? All that stuff is, is like... It's like worth nothing compared to knowing Jesus. Why am I making a point of that? Well, the truth is, you know, most of us were just like normal people. Most of us. Now, I know some of you are thinking, well, he doesn't know how smart I am. <laughs> I probably don't. But listen to what Paul says. God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. Why? Verse 29, 1 Corinthians 1, so that no one may boast before him. So that no one may boast before him. That's really what it's all about. That's what we see. The, these Pharisees, these religious leaders, you know, they were boasting. We, we know. You don't even, you people don't even know. You guards don't even know. The people that have trusted him, they don't, they don't know anything. We are the, the guys that, that know. We have the, the, the degrees. Look at verse 49. They said, no, none of us have believed in him, though that wasn't true, as I've already pointed out. But he said, but this mob that knows nothing, these people, it's like a, a real derogatory uh, way they're speaking about the people. This mob that knows nothing of the law, there's a curse on them. I mean, can you hear the, the attitude here? Now think about it for a minute. These are the people that are supposed to be caring about them, Right? They're supposed to be their spiritual leaders, supposed to be caring about them, and they're calling them like, you know, you people, these people, this mob, they don't know nothing. They're, in fact, they're cursed compared to us. I mean, how could you get anything from them? You know, it, it, it's, like, it's like this uh, concept that puts, you know, a, a huge, a huge uh, difference between the, you know, the laity and the... Uh, what's the word I'm thinking of? You know, the, the leadership of the church. The ministry 
and the laity. You know, there's a big, big divide, big difference. And, and, and those that are pastors and, and overseers and elders, they're, they're so much better. They, they know so much more than just the sheep. Those stinking sheep, right? I didn't say that about you, just so you know. The truth is, we're all just stinking sheep, right? You and I, we're all the same. We're all sheep. And, and if we think, you know, you know, I'm so spiritual because I, I'm so smart and I figured that out and I know so many Bible verses and, and I know so much stuff, it's no wonder that I'm so spiritual. Well, at that point in time, what, what attribute are you showing? Pride, right? Arrogance. They're just a mob. They don't know anything. They're too ignorant to know anything. And you know what? It used to be that way for centuries in the church. The, the leadership of the church looked down upon the common people and said, you know what? You, we can't even trust you to have a Bible, much less read it. Things really change, though, aren't they? Now, you know, we have Bibles. We can read our Bibles. We need to read our Bibles, every single one of us. You don't need me. You don't need some person to explain everything to you that, that you know, you can't, you know, walk with Jesus unless somebody, you know, strictly and, and with a lot of force shows you the, what you need to do and how you need to do it. That's, that's called shepherding. There's a big movement like that uh, 30 years ago or so. Each one of us. Each one of us has a place before God. And Jesus cares about you, each one of you. He cares about me the same way he cares about you. We're all in this boat together, right? Verse 50. They said their bit. But Nicodemus... Nicodemus. Now, at this point in time, we don't know exactly where he is, but he does speak up right here. And there are times when people need to speak up. And Nicodemus, who was one of their leaders, one of these Pharisees, one of the leaders, it says Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier, we saw that in chapter 3, Jesus had this long discussion with him about what it means to be born again. He says, who was one of their own number, he asked, does our law condemn anyone without first hearing him to find out what he's doing? Nicodemus, he spoke up. He said, listen, isn't it at least true that he's got to have a fair trial? You've already written him off. The law, he said, you know, this mob knows nothing about the law. And he says, you know, what our law says, is, you know, that we need to listen to him to find out what he's saying. We need to look at him to find out what he's doing. And if they had done that, and I started off with that quote earlier, if they had honestly looked into what he was saying and what he was doing, they would come to the same conclusion that Nicodemus at one point definitely does. As well as, as well as Joseph of Arimathea. But look at their response of verse 52. They replied, 
Now they're speaking to one of their own guys, right? We're talking about the great divide between those who believe and don't believe, but even in their midst, we're seeing that divide there. They replied, are you from Galilee too? Like that was derogatory. That's a derogatory question. Look into it. They're telling Nicodemus, look into it, and they weren't willing to do that. And you will find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. Well, yeah, that the, the prophet, the one they're waiting for, the Messiah, would come from Judea, from Bethlehem. Yes. But they didn't even look into it to see where this guy was really from. So a lot of people will, you know, they'll write off Jesus saying, you know, you're, you're an idiot, you're a Jesus freak, you're whatever. But they've never honestly looked at what Jesus said and what the Bible says. They've never honestly looked at it. They just had prejudice. You know what? That's old school. You know, that's what old people believe and do. The great divide. The truth is, we see it here in this chapter, you either, you either love him and trust him or you hate him. There, there's this huge divide. You know, you think about Jesus when he came to the earth. I, I, I was thinking about this. You know, he, he, he said, you know, that he would come and that he would bring peace, peace on earth. He was the prince of peace. But, but did that mean that he was only going to bring peace to, to the whole earth? And, and we're all going to just be happy, happy together, this peace? Or was it what I think he's going to bring is peace to our hearts if we let him in? He didn't bring peace to the whole world. In fact, because of Jesus, they were divided. Because of Jesus, there is a lot of division within our earth and even within our own country. When, when the Apostle Paul and Barnabas they went to a town or a, a city called Iconium, it says the people of the city, they were divided. Some sided with the Jews and others sided with the apostles. They were divided. There was this schism. There was this problem between them. I want you to turn with me. We have a few more passages I want to look at before we close. But let's turn back to Matthew. You know, you can find that. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew chapter uh, 10. This is kind of a difficult passage. But sometimes Jesus said some pretty difficult things, don't you think? Mm -hmm. But he had the authority to do that. He had the right to do that because he knew he had, as God the Son, he, he, can, he could say anything he wanted to. But he spoke the truth. He stood up and he spoke the truth. And, and look what he said. This is, these are difficult words here. Verse 32, chapter 10, he said, Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. Speaking about us acknowledging him in front of the people around us or disowning him. There's, there's, there's not like a, a middle ground on that. You either acknowledge him or you disown him. It's like one or the other. What is it going to be? 
What side are we on on this great divide? Look at verse 34. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but what? A sword. Oh my. Jesus bringing a sword? Division? Verse 35, for I have come. This is where it gets pretty difficult. Look at this. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Division even within the house. He goes on to say in verse 37, anyone who loves me or loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That's difficult, isn't it? Those are harsh words. Those are difficult words that even within a family there would be this division because of him. Because of, of allegiance. Now is he saying, you know, people you know, take, this out of, take the words out of context. He's saying that you shouldn't love your father or your mother? Of course not. But, but to realize there's a difference between people on this earth and the Lord Jesus Christ and, and that he, that he you know, deserves our love as the Son of God, as, as our Savior, that, that, that of all the people on this earth, of all the ones that have ever come and gone, that he's the only one that deserves worship and reverence and, and adoration. Take up our cross, he says. Anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. That's a pretty great divide, isn't it? You don't have to turn there, but, but in Matthew 6 in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon, or God and money, or God and things and stuff in this world. You can't do both. You're either going to love the one and hate the other, or vice versa. Turn with me now to the book of Revelation. I only have two more passages, and then we'll be done. Two more passages, Revelation chapter 3, Revelation chapter 3, the last book in the New Testament. In the first chapters, he's he's speaking to the church, he's speaking to believers, right? Chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, you've heard these words, and again, these these are powerful, strong words. But I think we need to be challenged from time to time. You know, what side are we on? Where are we? Who are we living for? What's the most important thing in my life? Can people tell the difference between me, a believer, 
and person who is not a believer. Verse 15, he said, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were one, either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spew you or spit you out of my mouth. Wow. That's pretty strong, isn't it? That's a challenge. And Jesus is speaking. He's speaking to the church. He's speaking to believers. You know what? Are, what are you going to do? Who are you going to follow? What, what side? You, you know, it's no good to try to do both. You know, and you've heard people say this, where we, where we have one foot in the, in the church and one foot in the world. We're, we're trying to live as a believer and as an unbeliever at the very same time. It doesn't work. You'll get torn, you'll get torn apart, right? We need to make our mind up, you know, Joshua said, and you know, to the people, choose this day who you're going to serve. If you're going to serve, you know, the Lord God, serve him, fine. But if not, fine, then don't. But, but you can't do both. We've got to serve one or the other. We're going to serve Jesus no matter what the cost, the division that it might be. One last passage, I promise. This is the last passage. I told you only two. John 15. Go back to the Gospel of John. John 15, verses 18 through 21. John 15, 18. Jesus, again, strong words, but he's telling us the truth. He says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belonged to the world... It would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name. For they do not know the one who sent me. They do not know the one who sent me. If they hate you, keep in mind, he says, that he, they, they hated me first. It's not you they hate, it's him. Is that happening today? Is that happening in our country today? First, let me tell you this. and, and, and uh, Someone pointed this out, and I was doing a little research, a little reading about this, you know, that, that in terms of America, compared to the rest of the world, in terms of persecution, we have none. We have nothing to complain about, okay? There are people that are being murdered and killed for their faith in Jesus Christ today, in our day and age. In fact, the, the people who studied the statistics say that more people have been killed because of Jesus in this century than all the 19 centuries previous to when Jesus came combined. That's radical. It's happening today. We, we kind of, you know, we don't realize it. We don't think about it. We don't want to think about it. But it's happening today on a massive scale. So we have it pretty good, and, and you know, we, we shouldn't you know, complain and moan and whine. 
But, but having said all that, there are things that are happening in our country that we need to be aware of, that we need to watch. That things are changing. And, and you know, our country was founded, you know, uh, upon many, many biblical principles that are being kicked to the wayside. Someone said this. Uh, this is from the gospelcoalition.org. said, traditional Christianity and traditional Christians are facing increasing intolerance in this country. The fines... The lawsuits, the jobs lost, the public dis disdain. These, these are not figments of the imagination. That's happening. That's happening already. Now, no, you know, I, I don't think anybody's getting murdered or killed because of it. But, but it is definitely going in that direction that this, you know, speaking against. Paul said in 2 Timothy 3 that all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be what? persecuted. If you and I desire to live after Jesus and follow him, we will be persecuted. It's a promise of the Bible. We all like the good promises, but there's some promises too that stick out. If you want to live for Jesus, don't think that it's always everybody's going to like you and, and, and think that, oh, you're, you're the bomb. You're really good. It's not, that, it's not that way and things are changing. We see it, the, the you know, militancy of of, of, you know, different groups because you don't accept their particular, you know, interpretation of marriage or their particular interpretation of one thing or another. Because you don't accept that, you are foolish. You are a bigot. And, and it just goes on and on and on. And, and I, you, you don't have to look very far to see that's happening in our country today. That did not used to be the case, even 20 years ago. Someone said this, Today, Christianity is seen as a threat to freedom or even a pathological condition. Schools accept the theory of evolution, but view the idea of creation as a dangerous myth. Judges see the biblical view of of strange, uh, uh, of a, uh, you know, our view of marriage, they view it as hate speech. In fact, various state departments of Child Protective Services have at times listed regular church attendance as one of the hallmarks of abusive parenting. That's interesting. I didn't look that up to see, you know, where you got that information. But he says this, in this landscape, Christians must have a ready answer for those who believe that we are not just wrong, but that we are evil. This article finishes, says, says this. Those who follow Christ are likely to see at least some form of suffering in the months and years to come. No matter what the culture looks like, our calling as believers is always the same. Serve Christ and reach others with the gospel. God has done amazing things throughout history with a church that is looked down upon 
marginalized, and even violently persecuted, know that he can and will ultimately use this situation for his glory. Though or through it our lives may get more difficult, such trials bring new opportunities to reach others with the gospel. So, so you've seen it, and if you study you know, church history and, and persecution of the church, it's made the church actually stronger. In fact, uh, some would say and some do say that our, the church in America is so flabby and weak that, that maybe we need persecution because we, you know, we're, so, we're so lukewarm and watered down that, that maybe this is what it's going to take. I hope not. And, and, and it gets down really to a personal decision. Am I going to follow Jesus? Am I going to do what he says? Am I going to follow the word of God and, and, and stand up for what it says? Or just go along with the tide of the world and, and, and live this lukewarm you know, experience and, and life? That's not the way. That's not the way to go. Heavy stuff, huh? Jesus had some pretty heavy stuff to say. One last quote from this. Uh, this is a, a website called Reasonable Theology. He says, so fear not, stand for truth, love others, and remember, this world is not our home. This world is not our home. Let's pray, shall we? Our gracious Father, we, we thank you uh, for sending your son Jesus. And yes, uh, Jesus, you came and you, you challenged us with truth. And, and we're challenged. We're challenged by the truth of your word. We're challenged by the truth of what you said to us. Am I going to live for you or, or try, to, try to live both for the world and, and for you at the same time? It just doesn't work. It doesn't work. But Lord, though we don't necessarily want to face persecution, I pray you'd open our eyes to see it's already happening. It's already around us. Maybe some of us have already faced it looked down upon because of our faith, maybe passed over because of our faith, because of our commitment to Jesus. The people were divided because of Jesus. Father, I pray you'd give us the strength to walk, to walk for you. You don't ask us to do anything that you will not give us the strength to do, so Give us the strength to live and be a light. You called us to be lights in the world, salt of the earth, and you've called us to show Jesus, really, to the world. And sometimes it may cost, but there's nothing greater than what you've given to us, and our home is in heaven, and one day we're going to stand before you at home with you in heaven and rejoice for all eternity. Father, I pray for any maybe here this morning in this room or listening that have never surrendered. you got to make a choice. It's your choice. He doesn't make it for you. No one can make your choice. It's all up to you. Choose him and you'll rejoice and you'll know it's true that Jesus loves you. You can make a choice and simply say yes to him. Today, right now, you can say and pray with me and say, Jesus, I come. 
I say yes to you today. I open my heart and my life and allow you to, to come in, to enter, to be my Savior, and to be my Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand together and sing, shall we? Nobody loves me like you do.